It is good to be with you, church family, and uh, certainly good to worship with you. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm Psalm 40, and then while you are doing that, put your finger there, and you're going to turn to John, and it's going to be John 15, and then you're going to turn to Acts 20. So John 15, and then over to Acts 20 this morning as we continue to look at the act of worship that we have all been created for and as believers especially called to. Um, As you're turning there, uh, many of you know, or at least some of you know, that uh, after church last week, I headed to Kansas City to be the caregiver for a week to Josh Miranda. Josh is uh, a pastor, uh, is the, the pastor, the senior pastor at Open Door in Columbia, Open Door Baptist Church in Columbia, Missouri. Um, Josh had just uh, had, re- had received a bone marrow transplant as part of treatment for leukemia and was in 100 days of quarantine uh, when he needs a caregiver uh, 24-7, but he's also unable to be around anyone younger than the age of 12. Um, so that means uh, he hasn't been able to see his boys, um, Ben and Carter. Um, I am happy to report, and he wanted me to share his thanks for all of your prayers and your wishes. Um, he is doing well, um, but uh, he, would, he asked me to let you guys know to pray for Tuesday the 15th. He is having a bone marrow biopsy to make sure that the transplant is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Um, and so we want to continue to pray for him, pray for that date, pray uh, as he's about two weeks out from the end of the 100 days. Um, and so pray for him as he comes to the end of that and transitioning back into a new normal. Um, but he certainly wanted me to pass along his, his thanks uh, for his prayers. And I want to thank you as a church for allowing me to do that. Uh, many of you came up on last Sunday and encouraged me and just said, hey, this is where you're supposed to be. This is uh, this is where we want you, and uh, I just, I can't tell you how much, uh, how, how much I appreciated that um, and knowing that. Turning back to our, our passages, though, this morning, uh, we spent a great deal of time back in the fall looking at testimony, uh, and yet, as I looked at these passages this week and, and I prayed over these things, I, I became excited all over again about the power of testifying in our lives. And this act of worship that we do for him, but the incredible blessing that it is to us and to those that hear the testimony. And so it just excited me all over again. And especially as I thought about Ryder's baptism this morning and the ultimate testimony that that is to the congregation and to people about the change that Jesus Christ makes in our lives when we put our faith and trust in him. I just, uh, I, was, I was ready to be back <laughs> and ready to, to be with all of you and to worship with all of you and to testify of God's goodness um, in all things. And so hopefully by now you found those three passages. If you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word, we, there is quite a bit of reading this morning. So if in the middle of this you need to have a seat, please feel free to do that. Um, but we want to start together uh, honoring him, starting with Psalm 40. It says to the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. 
He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to, say, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. And then John chapter 15, verse, starting in verse 26, just two verses here. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. And then Acts chapter 20, Paul speaking to the Ephesians, and in the middle of that speech, he says this in verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning. And Father, we stand in awe of who you are, of what you have done in our lives, of what we have witnessed this morning in the the salvation through faith of Ryder. And, and Lord, we look forward to what you will do with his life just as we look forward to what you will do in the lives of all of your saints. And Father, we ask this morning that as we listen to your word, as we attempt to understand it better, that as we attempt to apply it, to our lives, that you would give us a new passion and a new desire and a new thrill for testifying, for speaking about who you are. 
Lord, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. As has been our uh, kind of our ritual for the last several weeks, as we have looked at worship, it's good for us to do just a quick review to remind us of where we have been this whole summer so that we can just remain on the same page a little bit. We have been, of course, speaking about worship and how we are made to worship, how we have been called to worship. And we have given ourselves kind of a working definition that worship is the act of placing supreme value on God. That that is what we are doing when we worship. We are, we are helping everyone else to know, we're reminding ourselves, we're communicating to him that he is our supreme value, that he is our treasure. And my prayer has been for myself and for us as a church that as we have this definition, that we would be asking the question, is he truly my treasure? Is he truly the one that I value above all things? And then a secondary question, is my life reflecting? of that? Do I worship him? Not just on a Sunday morning, though certainly that is important, but do I worship him and my words and my actions throughout the week that other people would see my life and know that he is what is most valuable to me? Do people see that? Do people know that? As we've done that, as we've thought about that definition, we have talked about some of the questions of worship, the where, the why, the who. And here lately, we have been looking at that how question. How do we worship? What are the practical ways that we do that week in and week out? And we've seen that there are various ways, that if we say that we value God, then we're going to value his words, that his words are, are going to be important to us, that they're going to, be, they're going to have a special place in our life, that we're going to want to see them more and more, that we're going, to, we're going to want to digest them and know them, and that we're going to want to obey them. We've seen it through prayer. We've seen it through singing, through creativity, that we've each been given passions and desires and talents and tools that best help us to express his worth to us. And all of us have a different way of doing that. And we should use that for his glory and for the benefit of the church. And then last week we looked at silence. That we communicate the worth and the value of God when we just stand in his presence or sit in his presence in silence. Just to hear him. To be content in him. This week we maybe go to the far extreme of that to talk about how we express how we express worship through testimony. After all, testimony is simply declaring God's worth to whoever will hear it. That when we testify, we are making much of him. And that is, in essence, worship. That fits in very well with our definition that we gave earlier. And so this week, uh, we, we want to take these texts and look at how is how is testifying worship, and how should we go about doing that? What, what are the components of it? What are the, the things that it produces? And then, of course, we ask the question throughout, are we testifying? Are we testifying? So I want to turn your attention back to Psalm 40. If you would go back to that original passage that we read just a moment ago. And what we see from the very beginning in Psalm 40 is that worship, and especially testimony, all starts with the work of the king. That our worship doesn't start with us. 
The act of worship does not begin with us as the worshipers, but rather the act of worship starts with the work of the king, the work of God. You look with me here at, in Psalm 40, starting in verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. The first work of the king that we see David talk about here in this psalm is that he hears us, that he listens. When, when we cry out to him, when we pray to him, that God hears our cries. David has a confidence in this. He has already learned that by the time he writes this psalm. He is or, and he says that I waited patiently. There was a, a still confidence in his prayers. That he repeated them over and over again. Not thinking that God was delaying it. But rather knowing that God would hear him. And I love the, the word that he gives here. He says that he inclined. God inclined to him. As a, as a parent, you, you do this and you see family, you see other adults do this with small children, that there's a moment when they really want that child to know that they have their full attention, that they want to hear them. What do they do? There's the incline, right? And sometimes it looks like this. Sometimes it's the full knee, right? And you get down on their level and you're looking, you're looking at that child in the face and it's like, what do you need? And in that moment, you're communicating through your posture like you have my undivided attention. What I am concerned with in this moment is you. And I want to hear what you have to say, whether it is the most exciting news in the world or whether it's you scraped your knee because you fell out of a chair. Not that that's happened in our house very long ago. But that, you, that I want to know right in this moment. And that's the picture that David's painting in this psalm. He says that I waited patiently on him and God inclined himself towards me. Maybe this morning you have been patiently praying for God to intervene, for God to speak. Know that he not only hears you, but his desire is to incline himself towards you. To, to kneel before his, before his child, not, in, not that he is under your authority, but just to say, I care about you. I am listening to you right now. We have a God that is not far away and distant. We have a God that is personable and desires to listen to us. But it's not just that he listens. We all we all have things in our life that we have shared with others, right? That we have, that we have that, that shared a burden that we have, a, a complaint that we've shared, some great difficulty that we have. And we all know and experience things in our life that we share with others, but they are powerless to do anything about it. When we share a, a difficulty in a relationship, when we share a, a diagnosis, a difficult diagnosis, that at the end of the day, though that person may listen and though they may have every desire to help, there is simply at the end of the day not much they can do to truly change things. That is not the case with God. He not only hears us, he saves us. Verse 2, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and, the, and set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. Brothers and sisters, friends this morning, it is not that God just hears us, but that he saves us. He is powerful enough to act in our lives. First and foremost, we know that he has 
he is desiring to save us from our sin. We understand as we read scripture that we have all at one point, though we have been created by him and for him, we have all at some point, whether through our words or our actions or both, looked at him and said, I can do it better. I can live life better. I don't need you to be my boss. I can be my own boss. And we go out and we live life on our own. And what happens is we find that we make a mess of it. We make a mess of it. And we break God's law. We sin, we cheat, we steal, we lie, we covet, we lust, we have anger, we have unforgiveness. And we find that all of these things produce nothing of good. Even more, we find that all of them bring with them a consequence. All of them bring consequence, and the consequence is that we get exactly what we said we wanted in the first place, that we get separation from God. But we find that that separation is quite literally hell, that it is eternal, that it is torment. And yet, God has a desire for us that we would not have to find that, that path, that we would not have to, to handle that outcome on our own, but rather he desired to have a relationship with us. So he comes in Jesus Christ and lives a perfect life and then voluntarily laid down his life to take our penalty. He paid for our mistakes and now he invites us to come back. He has made a way for us to come back that we can know him, that we can have a relationship with him if we will simply repent, if we'll say, yeah, I've screwed this up and I, I want to go the other way. Forgive me for my mistakes. I want to follow you. He is powerful to save. And it's not just that salvation that he provides, but many of us could stand and testify of other ways that he has saved us. And David certainly is speaking to those things when he talks about being drawn out of the pit of destruction David goes on, he says, not only does he hear us, not only does he save us, but he sustains us. You go to verse 5, he says, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. He says, not only has God saved me, but he continues to remember me day in and day out. Even when I am asleep, God remembers me. And the blessings that he gives are too numerous to count, much less proclaim. And if you have a relationship with him, you know the truth of these words. You've experienced the joy. You've experienced the contentment, the satisfaction, the security that he gives. Even in the most difficult times of life, you know his presence is true. He hears us, he saves us, and he stands us. So out of all of this, out of all of that he has done, all that he is doing for us, there is logically a response that should be given. And that's what we see in the, the, part of, the next part of this psalm. We see the response to the king. We see the, the work of the king. Now we see the response to the king. And this is worship. It says in verse 6, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Going down to verse 9, he says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in, great, in the great congregation. 
obviously David here is responding to what God has done in the first few verses. But it's interesting as you go through this, you see different levels of response. First, you see that we listen to him. Verse, going back to verse 6, which I wrote, read just a moment ago. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. You've given me an open ear. It's interesting. The Hebrew there says that you have dug out for me ears. <laughs> that God purposely gave you two of these so that you would listen. It's interesting. We talked about silence last week. It's a carryover to this week. Our worship, our response to this God who has given us so much is to stand and to listen. To get to know him more. To hear what he desires and what he delights in. To just simply understand who he is and what he has done. Our, our response to him is to want to know him more and we cannot do that if we are the ones always doing the talk. We listen. The second response is that we delight in him. You see there in verse 7, it says, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, your law is within my heart. We delight in him that as we listen, as, as we experience his salvation, as we experience how he sustains us and the blessings that he gives, that we and as we we learn more about him, that we begin to delight in him and we delight in the things that he delights in and then we delight in making him delighted. I, I know that I've shared this story before, but like I, I think back to that moment when I realized that I wanted to pursue Melissa and we had met before, we had spent time together before, <clears throat> but to be perfectly honest, we didn't communicate a lot that first, that first couple of weeks that we were together. And some time went by, and later she was traveling, and I was, picking, I was helping to facilitate some of that travel. And I, I swear, this is my memory of the thing, which is very Hollywood. But I remember I, her getting off the plane and me picking her up, and there was like the sun, the setting sun behind her head, and her hair was all out. And like, at that moment, she was the most beautiful thing in the world. And I was attracted to her, and I was like, how did I miss that before? Right? And I was like, I want more of that. And so I began to, to pursue her and to, to find out more about her. And what I found out was that I really liked her. And it went from just being a, a physical attraction of, oh my gosh, like that's someone that I want to pursue, to being so much more about that. And I got to know more about her and the things that she liked and, and how they lined up with the things that I liked and all of, this, all of these things. And it began to build and to grow. And then it got to the point where I just delighted to be in her presence. It was no longer just about a physical attraction. It was about more than that. And so now the excitement's building, right? And now I find myself like not just being delighted by her, but wanting to delight her, wanting to, to make sure that she is as thrilled as I am about this whole thing. That's what David's describing here. He's like, I've experienced your salvation, and it is good. I've experienced your sustaining, and it is good. And I have listened well, and I have learned more about you. And now I not only delight to be with you, but I delight to do the things that make you delighted. I delight in your law. <laughs> that seems like a weird thing to delight in. But he delights in his words. He delights to do the things that make God delighted. 
And so we respond to him in that way. And then we see at the end of this little section that he, we respond by speaking of him. Verse 9, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. David says, I have told everybody I know about what's going on, about who, how great you are and your great worth and your great value. I spent the last week in Kansas City, and you do not spend a week in Kansas City without having, even in confinement, just going to doctor's offices and back, you do not spend a week in Kansas City without speaking about barbecue more than once. I mean, it's everywhere. Like, it's on every sign you pass. It's in, like, you know, like, that was one of the first three conversations that Josh and I had when I got there. Uh, it was in, like, we go to the doctor's office, and, like, half the nurses were talking about it. Like, it's barbecue, and it, there's a passion behind it. It's like, have you been to this place and this place and this place? Have you been over here? Well, have you been over here? Have you tried their second location? It's not as good as their first location. You need to go to the original. Have you tried the brisket? Have you tried the pulled pork? Have you tried the smoked chicken? Have you tried the smoked turkey? Like, have you tried the burn ins? Like, get it with the coleslaw, get it without the coleslaw. Like, that's all they talk about. And I get it. I lived in Memphis. Ours is, Memphis's is better. I'm sorry. Dry rub. Sauce is a myth. What if we spoke? What if we spoke about Jesus the way that we speak about barbecue? What if we were that excited and we said, hey, have you been with him through up here and have you been through with him down here have you been through this have you been through that have you known him this way have you known him that way have you seen learned this about him have you learned that about him have you experienced him in this way and that way do you know him what if we talked about him with that passion with that desire that we have him not not just remembering a salvation experience, though grand and wonderful as that is, but that we were living lives that we could communicate with others on a regular basis about the greatness of who he is and what he's done in our life. What if our response to the king was to listen, to delight, and to speak? Psalm 40 would be a wonderful psalm even if it just ended right there. Like if we just stopped right there, Psalm 40 is pretty remarkable. It's pretty incredible. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and provides us with another section, starting in verse 11 and running through the end of the, the psalm. He writes another verse or two. And it brings a fuller picture of what it means to testify. And what testifying accomplishes, not just as an act of worship, but in the lives, our lives and in the lives of others. Let me read that part to you again. It says, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. 
Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. You see, the third section of this psalm reminds us of our dependence on the king. That though we have, excuse me, experienced his salvation and his sustaining, though we have learned to delight in him, there is an ongoing need for him. We still depend upon his mercies. It's interesting. We read the first 10 verses and we think if you were to stop at 10, you would think that this was written in a time of great jubilation in the life of David. But what you find in verse 11 and 12 is that actually he is writing this psalm of testimony and praise in a time of great distress. He says, my heart fails me. I can't see. Maybe some of you Maybe some of you are going through that right now, that you're going through a time in life when the weight of everything has gotten to the point where you can't see, and it feels like everything is failing. And you need him. That's where David's at. That's where David's at. And how does David respond? Well, that's what the first 10 verses are. David's response to being in a place of grief, in a place of, of hurt, is to testify of God's goodness and God's salvation. That reads differently now, doesn't it? When you, when you read that, that, that his evils have encompassed me beyond number when they are more than the hairs of a head my heart fails me now go back and read verses 1 through 10 where he says I waited patiently for the Lord he inclined to me he heard my cry he drew me up from the pit of destruction when he talks about proclaiming his word what is what is the believer's response to difficulty it is to testify of how he has acted before testifying reminds us of what God has done before and what he can do again. It reminds us of what he has done before and what he can do again. David's heart is lifted up by the act of testimony because he knows who God is, who God is and what God can do. He knows it. He trusts it. And so, Depend, we see here the dependence upon the king, the te how testimony reminds us of how he has acted before, how it, it encourages us in moments of distress, and then also how testimony tells others that he can come through for them. Verse 16, but, all who, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. This testimony is not just a conversation between him and God. His testimony is for others as well. We talked about this last fall when we were going through testimonies, but many of us uh, have grown up, I think, in, a, in times and places, and there are certainly exceptions to this, but we've grown up in times and places where our testimony 
And the sharing of a testimony has been not frowned upon, but it's not been encouraged. It's not been lifted up. It's not been, uh, uh, no one has, has prompted you, hey, you need to do this more. And we've not made a big deal about it. And so we've seen it as something that's private. And we've confined it to ourselves. And yet what we see in Scripture is that though your story and what God has done in your life is personal, it's tailored to you, it's unique to you, it's meant to be public. He says, I have not hidden your salvation in my heart. I've not hidden it. I've not hidden your deliverance away, tucked it in some file that only I get to enjoy. I have proclaimed it. Your story was always meant to be shared. Now, what parts of it you share, how much of it you share, that differs from context to context, from person to person. But your testimony and the act of worship through testimony has great power, not just as an act of worship, not just as an act to, to lift up your own soul, but the act of testimony has the ability to lift up the soul of another. This is another reason that worship, yes, worship can be accomplished as an individual in the, in, the, in the faraway monastery, but worship is best expressed in the church gathered because it has more than one purpose. So we end with this. How do we testify? How do we, how, because testifying honestly scares many of us. It's something that intimidates us. It's something that worries us. So how do we, how do we do this thing? One, one, we must remember that we have a Savior. If you want to testify, you have to remember the Savior. Remember what he has done in your life. Tell your testimony to yourself every day. What is the act of grace that God has done in your life? that you may know it well, that you may remember it well, that you may hear it, that you may learn to delight in him more and more. Because I promise you that when you delight in him, when he is truly your passion, when he is truly what is most valuable to you, you will talk about him. You can't help it. Just as when you experience the most wonderful barbecue in the world, you can't help but talk about it. When you meet the most wonderful girl in the world that you've ever met, you can't help but talk about it. To use the illustration we used the last couple of weeks, when you find the perfect cheeseburger, you can't help but praise it. Can't help it. So remind yourself of your Savior. Remember him well. And then remember that we have a helper. We don't do this testifying thing on our own. John chapter 15, which we read at the beginning of the service he talks about this. He said, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus promises us that there is, the Holy Spirit will dwell with us and in us and that he will empower us to testify. We don't do this thing on our own but that we have one that is greater. We have literally the God of creation dwelling with us, empowering us, reminding us of the right words, of the right instances, so that when we are with that friend that needs encouragement, when we are with that, 
that brother or sister in Christ that needs maybe some accountability, when we are with that brother or sister in Christ or that friend that needs uh, wisdom, that the Holy Spirit would bring to us the right testimony at the right time to share the right part of our lives and the right act of God, that those things would be accomplished. Oh, we do not testify alone. We have a Savior, we have a Helper, and we have a mission Acts chapter 20, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian church and he's giving them encouragement and he's giving them reminders of what God has been doing. And there in in that passage in verse 24, he says in the middle of this speech, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. Brothers and sisters, we have a mission. And before you think that this is just a mission given to Paul, may I remind you that Jesus said to his disciples as a whole, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. As we think and ponder upon our testimony and what God has done in our life and how we might share that, it becomes easier when we remember and delight in a Savior, when we remember that we don't do it alone, that we have the helper who goes with us, and that when we focus on the mission that we have been given. Brothers and sisters, there are many out there who have no hope. Many who go through life with no satisfaction, no contentment, no sense of security. That they live for the moment because that is all there is. And yet we have good news. That there is more. And we have known him and we have delighted in him. Let us share that. Let us not be Let us not be selfish with the gospel. Let us share that testimony. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're going to have a time of response this morning. Because when we hear from the word of God, it is right and good that we would respond to him. Maybe this morning you are one who would say, I don't have a relationship with him. I've I don't really delight in him. I don't have that experience with him. Maybe this morning you would say, I I want that. I'm in that pit of despair. I need to be lifted out. I want him. As we said, receiving that gift of grace from him, receiving salvation is just asking him to forgive you of your sins and making a commitment to follow him. He becomes the boss. He becomes the Lord of your life. Because he knows how to do it better. And when that happens, you find all of what we have talked about to be true. Maybe, maybe you've been to church a lot, but you would say, I've, I've never done that. I pray that he would give you the courage this morning just to come to him. To come to him. If that's you this morning, I would encourage you, come grab me, come grab another And just say, this is what God's done in my life because we want to help you to know what the next steps are, how how you can know him better. Maybe this morning you're a believer and you would say, you know what, I I have tasted salvation, I have tasted that delight, but it's grown cold. 
this morning, would you come to the Lord and just say, Lord, give me that first love. Give me that first fire. I want to know you better. I want to delight in you again. Maybe this morning you just need to make a commitment. I'm going to share. I'm going to testify. Maybe it's to a friend. Maybe it's to a coworker. Maybe it's to somebody else. Maybe it's to a group of people. But I'm, I'm going to make that commitment. I'm going, to, I'm going to worship through testifying. I don't know what it is this morning. But this morning, let us respond to him. Let me pray before we do that. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we do thank you for all that you are and all that you have done and all that you are doing and all that you have promised to do. We thank you. (laughs) And Lord, I pray that we would delight in you, Lord, that you would be our joy and our passion, that we would get excited about you and that that excitement would come forth from us, from our lips and our actions that others would see that, that others would desire that. Father, I pray, Lord, do the things that only you can do in our hearts, in our minds. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Number 134 in your hymnal, if you would like.